Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, July 26, 2020. The share ID numbers for Friday, July 24th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,039. That's 15039. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,040. That's 15040. This morning, A Vision for You presents Surrendering, Letting God Take Over. The way we manage our own lives brings us to the end of our rope. Exhausted and weary, we hit bottom. Our ways and our efforts fail us. We are the architects of our own misery. We suffer with the juggernaut of self-will, and we suffer and we suffer until we have suffered enough. We cease resistance and we surrender. We admit our own powerlessness and the unmanageability of our lives. So we are left saying, if I am powerless, and I cannot manage my life, who can? We are willing to look for something better. What is that something better? The big book tells us this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. We could no longer insist on having our own way on trying to control other people, on believing that we always know what's best for ourselves, for others, for the world, and everyone else around us. We had to develop humility. In order to do that, we had to be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. The 12 Steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process resulting in a spiritual awakening, a deep and lasting personal transformation. Ideas, attitudes, and emotions which used to hold us in bondage are cast aside, and we begin to be governed by new ideas, emotions, and attitudes. The actual solution to the problem of personal powerlessness and unmanageability is finding and establishing a relationship with power. We are taken from the world of self-will, and we are taken from the world of self-reliance to a path of God-reliance. We surrender and let God take over. Joining us today to elaborate on this topic is Lisa H., a recovered compulsive overeater from Tennessee. Lisa is devoted to living our 12-step way of life, and she's here to share her experience, strength, and hope with all of us. And it's with great appreciation that I welcome Lisa H. to the line. Thank you, Leah. Um, Gosh, what a beautiful introduction. Um, thank you so much, and um, thank you to everyone who's here. Um, you know, I I thought as I was working on this topic, surrender and letting God take over, that um, 
that it that I didn't have a whole lot of fear. I didn't have a whole lot of anxiety about doing it until I woke up in the middle of the night realizing I had a dream last night, just this last night that I was late and you were going to start without me and I couldn't find my computer. Um, and thankfully, um, that was just a dream. <laughs> so um, I'm Lisa H. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Memphis, Tennessee. And one of the things um, I always like to start with, and, and some of you may know me and some of you may not, so I want to give you a little background on myself before I get into the topic. Um, I, I, I say that I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater today because as a result of the 12 steps, I've had a spiritual awakening and, um, you know, sufficient, of course, sufficient to bring about recovery. I, um, the, the mental obsession has been removed. Um, and certainly I couldn't, if I could have done it myself, I would have, you all, you all know that. Um, but today I have neutrality around the food and, um, the mental obsession has been relieved around food and weight and, um, and all that goes along with that. So, um, about me, um, I have been recovered since 2015, um, just a little over five years. I, uh, grew up, you know, like many of us, um, all I could remember, or I can't really remember a time when, um, I didn't use food as a source of ease and comfort from a, from a young age. Um, I was in the middle of five children, you know, um, it was, it was a busy time, but, and, and one of the other main things that stands out is, um, it never seemed okay. And I'm, it probably, probably could have been or was, but it never seemed okay to me to express anger in my household. So everybody else kind of took care of that. And I just continued to stuff it down. And, and I should say not just anger. So it could have been, you know, anger, fear, um, <clears throat> even, you know, joy and happiness. I mean, I, I medicated with food for all of those things. Um, probably um, my weight, you know, skyrocketed, I think, when, when I went off to college, right? Because there was, I was on my own, um, you know, left to my own devices. Um, it just, it got worse. Um, post, post college, um, I found myself with time, right? I found myself with some time thinking, okay, now I'm going to get a handle on it, you know, at this point. So I should say my highest weight was 170 and probably my lowest weight weight was 114. Um, so I got into this cycle of, of course, dieting with all the pay and way, um, restricting, over-exercising, um, because, you know, I thought if I could make the outside look okay, you wouldn't know how bad the inside felt. I, um, I'm married to a recovered alcoholic. He's been recovered for a really long time, um, our whole married lives, in fact, and, and I've had, we've had the big book sitting on our shelves that whole time. Um, I'm a big I'm a big fan of you know when the when the student is ready the teacher will appear. Um, in 2014, um, <clears throat> well I should say too I have two grown I have two grown children. Um, one is married, and and in all honesty um, I have great gratitude for the fact that they 
are um, respectful, responsible adults, um, even though I spent spent many decades of their lives and mine uh, in the food. So coming to OA, um, I had a friend who asked me to go with her. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm going to go and support her, you know, and it was extremely uncomfortable um, showing up. Um, but what I came away with was a newcomer packet. Um, maybe six months after that first meeting, of course, you know, January 1 comes and I, um, I think I've got to do something, right? Always January 1st, I have to do something. Um, so I, but so what happened, and, and I don't know why, I pulled out that newcomer packet and read those 15 questions about are you a compulsive overeater? And I think I answered yes to almost everyone. And I realized at that, at, I mean, it was like a light bulb. I, I'm a compulsive overeater and I've got to, I have to go back, right? I have to find out more about this. Um, at the time, or, you know, the, there weren't a lot of OA meetings around in my area. Um, I showed up at one meeting and there was one woman in the room who um, was recovered. She had not had sugar in five years and she was in a normal body. And really I thought that's impossible. Um, but I sit here today telling you it is, it is possible. I also walked away from that meeting thinking I have got to have more. I've got to have what she has, right? But she was already sponsoring half the people in the room. Um, and then she moved away. So um, I came home. I started looking at phone meetings. And, you know, what was I doing at 6 a.m. Central Standard Time? But I found a big book meeting. I found this big book meeting. Um, and again, we'd had the big book meeting, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on our shelves, more than one copy for, for my whole married life. Um, again, I, I, was, I was done. Um, my kids were out of the house. <clears throat> I was, you know, I'm a nurse. Um, I was working at the time. Um, but I, I was just done. The, the, I will, what I will say is the mental obsession was killing me. Um, and I think that the mental obsession, um, had I not done something, it could have destroyed, destroyed my marriage and my life. Um, so um, that's where I started. Um, I uh, got a sponsor and, um, you know, put down my alcoholic binge foods and start working these steps. Um, like they say, like my hair was on fire because um, this, this idea of trusting God and, and cleaning up the past uh, was, was significant. So now in recovery. So, um, how the, I have to tell you how the topic came up. Um, one of the things that I, that's part of my practice is asking the God of my understanding to show me the way. Um, and I, I say that often, many, many, like some people say, you know, um, thy will be done, you know, God, not mine, thy will be done. Um, that's just one of the, the things that um, I say often. So several weeks ago, I was doing, I'm telling my story um, at a Zoom OA meeting um, and, and uh, of some lovely, completely lovely fellows that are not in my area. And at the end, a question came up and the person asked me about surrender. And I must have, I must have used that word surrender a couple of times. And 
um, we had, you know, I gave my answer. I don't remember what it was now, but it really gave me, um, it really caused me to reflect on what is surrender? What does it mean? How do I do it? Right? How do I surrender and let God take over? Um, so I was then having a, I just had a conversation with another fellow and I said to her, you know, gosh, I think surrender would be a really good topic for a special edition. And then, of course, in the same sentence, I said, and if I'm suggesting it, I should probably volunteer to do that special edition. Um, and I, I think that was just God's way of nudging me um, to look into this more, um, get into it, and, and, and then talk about it. Um, I, shared that, I shared it with Leah, and um, it came around much quicker than I thought it would. But I thought, you know, right, there's no time like the present. Um, to share uh, what I have come to learn about surrendering. So it occurred to me that when we show up, when we show up, when we are done, when we are, um, uh, we've come to the end of our rope, right? That is like surrendering. It is like showing up. It is like we're waving the white flag. Um, But the kind of surrender I'm talking about um, is not just that, right? What surrender is not, right? Surrender does not mean that I'm resigning myself or that I'm submitting myself to some illegitimate authority. Um, It doesn't mean I'm giving up, right? It doesn't mean, uh, it's not about passivity. What surrender is in this context is about action. It is about doing the next right thing and leaving the outcome to God. We hear that a lot. Again, how do I do that? Um, Surrendering, so another way to really, for me, that really um, brought this home to me, it's it's like releasing my grip, right? It's it's about releasing or letting go of control. It's about, (laughs) I talk about this a lot, It's, it's about me letting go of wanting to fix, wanting to save, um, I have to get away from projecting the outcome. I have to get away from catastrophizing. I can go there. It's about not complaining, not criticizing. Um, I have to let go of judgment. And really, most of all, I have to let go of my ego. You know, the minute I say, you should, if you would just, you know, I'm inserting myself in there. I'm trying to be in control. And I'm trying to play God, right? And, and that is not the role I've been assigned. Um, I, ha- I can no longer be the director as much as my ego wants me to be the director um, and can still go to that place, right? So I'm going to talk more about that too. So how do I begin or how did I begin? Um, one of the things when I was new into the program, when I was new into listening to meetings, I would take notes. Um, And if you're a newcomer, um, I would take notes about what that person said, if it spoke to me, and I would even write down who said it. Um, If I couldn't listen to a live meeting, you know, I listened to 90 meetings in 90 days. If it wasn't live, it was recorded, um, or I would go to a a face-to-face meeting, but there weren't as many of those, you know, and people say, well, what'd you do after that 90 days? I just kept doing that. Um, I just kept getting, I because anyway, so abstinence. So what I heard on the line one time was someone saying, 
I had to surrender my food. And I thought really um, all this time, I thought my food is so insignificant. Why would God care about my food? Right. I mean, I knew God cared about my kids and my, and my husband and, you know, our lives and, but my food, right. Why would God care? Um, But what I know today um, is that God cares about everything, especially my food. So I said, so when I was able to get abstinent, right, I was able to hear your message. I was able to hear the message. I was able to hear the solution. Um, it was like I woke up. I don't, I, I, I've explained this, I've said this before. When I put down the sugar, um, I had a headache and I was irritable and I was so tired. And of course, my fellow, who is now a recovered fellow, said to me, Lisa, it's the sugar, you know, um, because I knew about the mental obsession, but until I started reading the big book, I had no idea about this allergy of the body. I had no idea about this double whammy. You know, I was trying to control the mental obsession myself. I I couldn't do it because I was still ingesting my alcoholic binge foods, which clouded me, completely clouded my my view and my hearing and everything. So the first thing I did, first thing I had to do was surrender the food, right? And, and ask, ask for help, right? I had to ask for help. Um, you know, we live in this disease of isolation um, and we come to these meetings to get help. And, and that's where I went. I mean, I was listening, like I said, listening, taking notes. Um, so when I got abstinent, right, then I got a sponsor. And, and guide who showed me and guided me through the steps and taught me how I could clean up the past, make restitution, and then I had to practice these principles in, in all my affairs. Um, again, but when we get abstinent, what comes in? All that emotional pain that I was trying to cover up with the food, right? So what do I do with that emotional pain, right? I have got to clean up the past. As I do that, as I make my way through the steps, remember when we get to step nine, you know, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. Um, because as I, as I do that, as I make amends, as I, well, when I gave away my fifth step and then made my amends, my thinking and my, my hearing continued to get clearer so I could continue to hear what you had to tell me. That what I could hear what the recovered people were saying um, and it made so much more sense to me. Um, I, I was talking to a fellow who was in relapse. And, um, and, and we had a conversation. What she said to me was, when I'm in the food, I don't want God. When I have God, I don't want the food. And when I brought this back up to her sometime later, she was, she was in such a bad place. And, and maybe she was just at the point, at the turning point, perhaps, because look, at when we had the conversation later and I repeated back what she said to me, um, and now she was, you know, clear of the food at this point, she did not even remember saying that to me. But how true it is, right? When, when we're in the food, we don't want God. And when we have God, the obsession with the food can be removed if we, if we stay, if we, you know, if we um, continue to work these spiritual principles. So a couple of things um, I want to bring out from the big book. So on page 45, 
The big book tells us, of course, and we hear this a lot, that lack of power is our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. And, and a couple continuing from page 45 and a piece of, of page 93, um, oh, I, what, I, what occurred to me was we have to confirm, right, that, the, that we keep the main thing the main thing, right? We want to guide people to, to find this higher power and to develop a relationship with, with the higher power. So I had to find a power greater than myself, which could solve my problems, right? And I had to be willing to believe that that power in that power and to live by these spiritual principles, right? These spiritual principles being the steps in the tradition. Um, and remember, the big book tells us that either God is everything or he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. And, and, we ha- and what's our choice to be, right? We have to make a choice for power. Um, page 46 says, we found that God does not make too hard of terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who seek earnestly. And so, um, and one of my favorite lines from page 55 says, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. So, you know, I believe that to be true down and down, down inside each one of us is this fundamental idea of God, no matter what you call it. I mean, I do, I, I, you know, I love in the big book, the forward thinking that they use to describe or name this higher power. So if you, if all you do is call it higher power, that's great. I call my higher power God. And so I, I use both of those. Um, so the question then becomes, how do I cultivate a relationship with power? Um, it's a little bit like developing strategies to stay abstinent, right? What are the strategies I'm going to use um, to stay abstinent just for today? What are the strategies I'm going to use to seek power on a daily basis? Because no matter what happens in my day, when things happen, and of course they're going to happen, good, bad, and otherwise, um, I want my choice to be to seek power rather than to seek the pantry, right? If I'm in the food, I don't want God. If I have God, I don't want the food, Um, so, so one of my, one of my spiritual teachers um, says that access to power requires prayer and prayer is a decision to believe in, to surrender to, and to live in the presence of God. So we, we have to make the decision, right? We have to make the decision and then act on that, right? If we, if we just make a decision, right, we, we can, you know, decide, I'm going to decide to take this to, you know, I'm going to decide to go for a bike ride. But if I don't actually get on my bike and go, right, I haven't done anything. Um, So we have to make make the decision. Um, We say, you know, we say every day, many of us say the serenity prayer. Um, And, you know, there's a, there's a long form. We kind of say the, the beginning of the serenity prayer, but in the long form, there's a line that says, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. Right. So, so together with the surrender, I have to trust, right? Because I can only surrender if I'm going to trust that God's going to show me the way 
Um, so in the, so for me, I begin each day with gratitude. And um, again, I have to I have to be grateful for this fellow of mine who was um, not recovered and who is now recovered. And I have known her for 20 years, more than around 20 years. Um, and, and this came, someone else directed her to this and, and she sort of started me on this path and it took me a little while, but every day I start with gratitude and it might be, and, and always I start with God and family and 12 step recovery. Those are the, probably the most important things in my life. And then I go on to look at, and usually I'm reflecting, I'm reflecting on the day before, and I make a list, and it may be five, and it may be ten. Um, it's really kind of whatever comes. And what I have found about, about gratitude, right, being thankful for the things that I have, it draws me closer to God. So in gratitude, I'm drawn closer to God. In God's presence, right, I get God's guidance. Um, and then I can, right, I can, it helps me to decide what sort of attitude I'm going to have, cultivate, what kind of behavior I want to exhibit. Um, and it helps keep my thinking um, clear, right? Helps me not to be, not to get into that obsessive thinking of whatever. Um, in, in the beginning, uh, when I first came to big book meetings, like I said, I would take notes. Um, one other spiritual teacher, um, again, this is, again, of my, my plethora of notes, which I still have and like to re- refer to from time to time, um, said that when they got started in the program, right, they had no idea um, about what a higher power was, um, whether they grew up with a higher power or not, I don't know. Um, but what this person said was they start their day with the third step prayer and they get on their knees and they would say the third step prayer, but they might start out with God. I don't even know if you exist. Um, but he, but they would say that, um, say that prayer, you know, and go about their day. And at the end of the day, um, they would say, you know, thank you God for keeping me sane and sober and abstinent. Say that third step prayer again, not knowing being unsure, but being willing, right? They were willing. You know, when we say, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt, right? That's the beginning of surrender, right? I'm asking, right? I'm seeking and I'm surrendering. So if I, if I can surrender all my cares, right? I talked about surrendering the food. If I can surrender my failures and my successes, I can begin to realize the constancy of God's presence in my life. You know, for me, um, and, and I think the big book lends, um, lends itself to help us develop that concept of a higher power. And so for me, you know, my God is big. My God is all-encompassing. My God is full of mystery. My God is limitless. I can, um, if I think I can understand or define God, I'm making God small like you and like me. Um, and, and God is so much bigger than that. Uh, God, my God gives me strength to prevail in all that occurs in my life, good and bad, right? Because good and bad things are going to happen. Um, I'm going to give you some examples uh, um, from my own life uh, in just a few minutes. So 
one of the things that's, of course, utmost important is that I have to make an effort to remember God, um, not just in the morning, but throughout the day. You know, it's like cultivating a relationship with a friend, or it's like developing our physical muscles, right? If we want to develop our physical muscles to get stronger, we have to exercise and lift weights or whatever. Um, and we have to develop spiritual muscles, right? If I'm going to develop and cultivate a relationship with power, right, which is the only way I'm going to get through the day and through my life and through the good and bad things that happen, if I'm going to cultivate that relationship, um, it's going to have to, it's going to have to include prayer. Um, for me, I, you know, everybody's different, but I have some mantras that I can say throughout the day. Um, I mentioned one of them was, um, you know, God of my understanding, show me the way. Um, another one I have is I will with God's help. Um, so if I can, <clears throat> excuse me, if I can pray about everything, right? If I can, if I'm sitting down to do a four step or I'm getting ready to make an amends, if I can just ask God in, you know, it's amazing when I do a, a, a nightly review and the person might just say, you know, when you go to do that, maybe you can just ask God in. And, and this is a small, maybe it's a trivial example, but I remember saying to my sponsor one time, that when I would go out on the tennis court and I happen to be a tennis player, that's just one way that I, it's a, it's a great hobby for me. Um, keeps me, keeps me um, exercising. But I would, I said to her, I get fearful, right? I get fearful when I go out onto the tennis court, a, that I'm not going to be good enough, right? Um, that I'm not going to play good enough, that I'm going to disappoint my partner. And what she said to me was, ask God to be out there with you on the tennis court. And that seems, might sound kind of silly, but it works because the minute I ask God just to be with me and not just with me, with everyone that's out there, it creates this sense of calm like, like nothing else. Um, so like I said, in, um, if we can leave, if we can surrender, right, if we can leave the outcome to God, this is surrendering with absolute trust. So those two things have to go together. I can, we can trust God to guide us and be willing to let the journey carry us to the destination that God intends. Um, trusting that God will make all things right if I can surrender. By surrendering, letting God take over, we can free ourselves and we can let God's power flow through us. And this is the way we demonstrate strength, right? not by our own power, but hopefully God's power coming through us. Um, making, letting go, and letting God our goal, outcomes will, outcomes will be as they should be, right? Not as I would have them be necessarily. So another strategy, <clears throat> in addition to prayer, um, and this probably is the most challenging, is, is by quieting my mind, right? Um, especially in the busyness of life, right? We all, we all have this busyness in life. Busyness can be at home. It can be at work. Even in program, right, we can get busy. Um, we may have a lot of sponsees and we may make a lot of phone calls or we may attend a lot of meetings. Um, we can just get busy, busy in life. And I have to, for me, I have to take time to listen to God. And I can only do that by quieting my mind 
by quieting my mind, I'm able to practice the presence of God. And that will strengthen my faith. That will strengthen my relationship. So, um, you know, some people call this meditation um, for me, and it, it can look different for everyone. Some people just like to go outside and be in nature. If there's a way to find a place where we can quiet our mind and be in silence, right? And again, for a lot of people, it can be uncomfortable because, of course, what happens many times, my mind wanders, right? I start scrolling through the day, what will bring, what do I need to do, who do I need to call, um, but I can slow down my mind. Um, and of course, I heard this on the line. I began by, um, I heard someone say, breathe God in and breathe out self. You know, and I, I said, my, my current thing is, is, you know, God of my understanding, show me the way. Um, and I, and for me, again, everybody's different. You can do this at home. You can do it outside. Of course, it's a little bit more difficult doing it at work. Um, but, you know, I, I have said this many times. I'm a nurse, and I, of course, now I wash my hands even more than I used to. Um, but I would just stand at the sink and asking God for the next right thought. Um, show me what that next right action might be. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, but also... Um, I have to continue this on a daily basis, right? I only have a 24-hour reprieve. You know, I wake up every day a compulsive overeater, and I have to I have to bring, what does it say in the big book? I have to bring God's will into all my activities, right? Um, and But what, what happens, of course, when my mind starts running, my mind starts obsessing, I call it mental gymnastics. Um, I want to take my will back, right? If things aren't changing quickly enough, if you aren't doing what I think you should do, or, you know, one of my biggest character defects is fear and, and, and um, a fear of not getting what I want um, or not getting my way. You know, if that creeps in, I really have to pause. I really know I'm getting away. I'm really getting into myself, right? My ego is coming back. Um, the big book says on page 87, you know, what used to be a hunch or an occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we're going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely on it. Um, you know, this brings up a, a memory for me. Um, you know, I say often to my sponsees that it's not probable. We're not going to be inspire, inspired at all times, right? We are human after all, you know, and, and thankfully we have a 10 step. Um, when my mind goes to that obsessing place and won't let go, um, I, one example um, I happened to be, can't remember why I was talking to this friend on the phone, um, but one of her children was in extremis and they just had some surgery and was in terrible pain and, and my mind was racing and what came out of my mouth was telling this person what to do. <clears throat> First of all, she was not calling me to ask me what I thought she should do. She really probably was just calling for my support and my prayers. 
um, when we hung up the phone, I had to do a 10 step and I had to call her back and apologize for thinking that I knew what was best, right? Um, I have to let God direct those people. I have to let God direct me, right? But I'm human, right? Things happen. Um, and so when we have the opportunity, right, to do a 10 step, right, of course, at first it says, you know, we ask God to remove it at once. Um, you know, and, and certainly I'm going to be prayerful. Um, but again, um, if, if, if I'm still holding on to whatever that is, if it's still taking up real estate in my head, I have to call another fellow. Um, I'm a big believer that, that people are God with skin on and sharing with a recovered person, um, is, is often inspiring and, and their feedback is usually just what I needed to hear. Um, so let me just, I'm going to give you a couple of examples, um, of things that have happened, um, in my life since, since I've been recovered, um, So in my relationships, of course, because in my primary relationship with my husband and in my relationship with my children, you know, um, historically, I just wanted to tell them what to do, right? I just wanted them to do what I wanted them to do. Um, I wanted to take on, I wanted to take on their problems and I wanted to take on their emotions. I wanted to do all those things. Um, I can remember having a discussion a couple of times times, one with my husband and, and, and my children too. It's kind of about jobs, all about their, their jobs. Um, and they're complaining about this, that, and the other. And I said to my husband, you know, what does God think about that? And I may have thrown him off because he said to me immediately, well, I don't think God cares about that. Um, and again, my response was, again, I wasn't going to, I mean, I could have, right? I could have had a million solutions how to fix the problem. But what I said was, I think God cares about everything. Um, With my adult daughter, who at the time, I don't think she was married, and trying to figure out whether she should change jobs and complaining about her job and this, that, and the other. And, And I just had to pause. And I think one of the hardest things for me to say was, you'll figure it out, right? It's different when we have kids at home because we are directing and guiding them and trying to teach them, right? But when my kids are grown and out of my house, you know, and they're still going to come and we're still going to have conversations. Um, I heard somebody say one time, um, they said to their kids, you know, I have an opinion about that. And if you want to hear it, just ask me and I'll share it with you, right? <laughs> Rather than inserting my opinion um, or, or you should, right, um, to my kids. Um, so all of these things, I am, I am letting go of control, right? I am hopefully, um, trying not to be God, right? In, in this, in that time. Um, most recently, um, our son got a promotion and was moving to another city. And I, I, you know, I, he went away to college and he was back and he'd been living in the same city and I just absolutely loved it. And when he said he'd gotten this promotion and was moving, I mean, and again, he's only moving three hours away. So it's not like he's moving across the country, but it was just like a, a gut punch, right? Because I loved having him close by. Um, no, I didn't want him to move. No, I didn't want him to take a new job. Um, but what am I doing? I'm making it all about me, right? What's best for him? 
it is so good for his career. He is living by himself for the first time. Um, all of these really um, adult and mature things to be doing. Um, you know, and so I had to let go of that, right? I had, I mean, again, I had to, I don't know what God's will is for my son, but if I were to step in, you know, and it happened to happen to my husband and I in our, in our early adult lives, we were going to take a job out of town and all of our families talked us out of it. And maybe we wouldn't have done it anyway. We were going to be moving to a very cold place, which is not what we're accustomed to, but we didn't do it. And who knows how that would have changed the course of our lives, right? I mean, could I have found recovery sooner? Who knows? Um, so so that's, that's a couple ways in which um, I just have to let God take care of my people, right? And also, I have to trust God to take care of my people. Um, so another example, um, I want to be mindful of the time, um, Another big example um, was around my brother. And um, back when I was doing my amends, he, when I made my list of resentments, he was at the top. Um, I was furious with him. And in that furiousness, I wrote him an email. And it was, I, I called, and this was before recovery, mind you, every awful name that I could come up with. Um, and, and so I don't know, a year, maybe it was a year or two later that I made amends to my brother. Um, we were, we're only 18 months apart. Again, I'm in a family of five. We were the closest, the two of us, cause we were only a year apart in school and he was my protector and I looked up to him and, um, and he behaved badly and, and, and so did I. Um, so about a year ago, so again, like I say, um, I often am asking God to show me the way. God of my understanding, show me the way. Um, I had made a ha- I've been doing this for 20 years, going to a half-day silent retreat. And so there's, you know, there's a little bit of um, meditation, a little service in the beginning, then you have several hours of silence. You know, and, and before, before recovery, you know, I would enjoy it. I'd read a little bit, but really I'd be looking more forward to what they were serving for lunch, um, sadly to say. Um, but now in this, in this time, about maybe a school over a year ago, um, and what I, I, what I happened to hear that day, what I kept coming to my mind was my brother, my brother, who's older than to me and, and to help him. That was all I got was help him. Um, in that same, within a, within a few months of that time, um, I was, that was quasi fifth step, I suppose, doing another fourth step, you know, in the big book, it says, you know, if you're of the religious persuasion to go to talk to a, a, a priest or a clergy person to do that. And so, so that's what I was doing. And the interesting thing is at the end of me giving away all this information, um, you know, it says to pause, right? And, and I pause and close my eyes and it's almost like walking away is there anything I've left out, you know, going away for an hour? This is just a, a matter of a few seconds, actually. But I closed my eyes, and all of a sudden, my brother's face popped into my head. And I opened my eyes, and evidently, it was tearful. Um, and, and he asked me about it. This person asked me about it. And I said what I realized was, even though I had made amends to my brother, I don't think I had forgiven him. Um, and... 
my brother's, you know, divorced twice and his children are grown and he lives by himself and he was needing a knee replacement. And so I'm having, you know, um, so this is kind of what it's all um, circling around. And soon thereafter, again, this is within about a month of each other, he sent me a text message and said, would you come and help me? <laughs> and, you know, when God asks you to do some things, sometimes I think, oh, really? I mean, God, is this really what you want me to do is go and help this brother who, by the way, I have intera- interacted with very seldomly in, in probably 25 years time. Um, but it, but it, you know, everything lined up such that I could go and, uh, and help him. So, so what did I do? Right. I got a plane ticket. I went to help him. Um, he lives in the Boston area. I spent four days there taking care of him. And, and of course my husband's like, you know, what are you expecting? You know, that he's going to change or you you are going to be able to forgive him. Um, but what I had to do, what I knew I had to do was do the next right thing, right? I, I could project, right? I'm really good at projecting. I wanted to project what would happen, how it would go, what I would do, say, all of those things. I had to back up and just do the next right thing. And what happened, what happened in that relationship was it was restored, our relationship was restored. Um, and it was amazing. All I can say it was amazing. Um, so a couple other examples. Um, three, three years ago. No, yeah, a little over three years ago. Um, I, it turned out um, I've had some skin cancer and I had a melanoma on my arm. And this was, I think, maybe six weeks before my daughter was getting married. And um, I got a call on a Friday at five right? Nothing, nothing, no good phone call can come on Friday at five. Um, I'd had a spot taken off my arm and she called me to tell me it was melanoma, um, which then required for me to have surgery. Um, you know, I, today I have a, I have a scar, maybe it's about four inches today. Um, but I remember getting that phone call and, and as you can imagine, there's many of us out there who've had this kind of phone call. Um, the first thing probably is fear. Um, and then, you know, conversation about what to do, what's the next right thing. And, and as I'm, as my husband and I are discussing this at the dinner table, and probably we were finished, he pulls out his phone and starts to Google, right? Bad, bad idea to get on Google and see (laughs) and check all this stuff. And so I said, back up, you know, put that down. And, and I have to give him some credit. Um, because he always said to our children and said to me, do the next right thing. He kind of left out the part about leaving the outcome to God, but he always said, do the next right thing. And what I said to him was, we're going to do the next right thing, and we're going to leave the outcome to God. We're not going to Google. We're going we're gonna to trust God. We're going to trust these people. We're going to trust these doctors. Um, I had surgery. Uh, they took it off. There was nothing else there. I had I had uh, genetic testing done. You know, I'm I'm not likely to ever have melanoma again. You know, that was a good outcome. What if the outcome had been different? Um, what if I'd had to do more? Well, I'm going to continue. I'm going to have to continue to rely on God, to rely on God's guidance, surrender my will, right, to do the next right thing. Um, 
so couple other couple other examples. Um, again, we all have pro we probably all have examples around COVID. Um, so my mom, who um, lives doesn't live near me, um, she had a COVID birthday. She turned 84 during COVID, and she has terrible dementia. She lives in assisted living, and um, you cannot go in and out of there unless you work there or it's life and death. So early March, and now we are in July, and she has had no contact with her family, um, which, of course, has created, um, probably caused her disease to take hold even more. But during that time, um, the only way we could be in touch with her was via cell phone. And, and she really has kind of gotten to the place where she can't even use the telephone. So she never hadn't called me in years. Um, but what happened was um, we hadn't heard from her, get, couldn't get in touch with her for a week at a time. Um, you know, we would be in touch with the people, um, the people that care for her, right? And so I was, you know, I was getting all agitated, right? I was getting agitated about, you know, not being in touch, not hearing anything about her being separated from her because I was supposed to go and visit her. Of course, that got canceled. Um, and we start getting in this text message with, with some of my siblings and the people that care for her. And boy, did I want to just get in there and tell them exactly what they needed to be doing and how they should do it and when they should do it. And I needed all this information. And right, what, what good was that going to do me, right? Because I, I was, it was not in my control. It was not in my control. I had, to, I had to trust God to take care of my mom. I had to trust these people to take care of my mom because I couldn't take care of her. And, and, and to be quite honest, you know, looking back on it, she is safe. She is well cared for. She is not uncomfortable. Um, and, and, and maybe this idea of, of the dementia has been a benefit to her um, because she doesn't really even understand the fact that there is a COVID virus. So, um, but that was such an example that I had to surrender because again, I had to trust those people to take care of my mom. Um, and lastly, most recently, um, I had, a, I had a, a COVID scare myself. Um, I had a positive exposure um, and uh, of an extended, this was, happened to be my son, um, you know, and we were on family vacation together. And he, so he gets exposed on a Saturday. And the, so almost a week later, he gets a call from this friend of his who says, I am so sorry to tell you I tested positive. And of course, by this point, we'd already been together. It's not like we were, you know, we were not socially distant, but, but not terribly close together. So we were all, there's five of us all together. And of course, my son was devastated um, that he'd been exposed. And um, he goes home and he gets tested and he has a positive test. And actually, this was just a week ago. <clears throat> and um, he, when he called to tell me, literally it sounded like there were tears in his voice and he was not so much worried about himself. He was worried about exposing us. Um, I'm a nurse and I work and my husband's a physician and we both work with immunosuppressed patients on a daily basis. Right. Um, and we had worked that day and the day before with these patients. 
um, if we tested positive, it, well, either way, I mean, it, uh, let me say, we both tested negative, you know, thank goodness for that. Um, but we still had to leave work. Um, we can't go back to work. We can't go back to be with these um, patients. But in that moment, um, I could have I could have really started obsessing about all kinds of things. You know, what if it was positive? What if it was negative? What are we going to do? How are we going to act? What do we have to do? You know, but what that what that does is puts me in fear, right? And it puts me in the future, right? I'm still projecting. I'm catastrophizing. I'm trying to fix and manipulate. And that's not what God wants me to do, right? God, God wants me right where I am, right where I am today. Again, it takes some pulling back. It takes some conversation with my spouse because we're in the same boat. Um, and we're doing the next right thing, right? We are, we are self-quarantining for two weeks, even though we're negative before we go back to work. Um, especially because of the environment that we work in. So, um, so when I'm faced, so 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 recently, right? Of course, when I'm faced with a new or a fearful situation, because when I get into f- fear, I can catastrophize. So one of the things, and and many of you may do this too, use the set aside prayer, you know, so that I can have an open mind and an open heart and learn something new right? There's always an opportunity for me to learn something new if I can pray, if I can quiet my mind, or if, or if I can talk to someone else, some other person, um, some other God with skin on, right? Um, and and I'm then, then in, in that, if I am behaving in that way, I'm never really alone. Even though I might live alone or I might be alone, I'm never really alone, you know? Surrendering allows life to unfold itself. It allows life to unfold without my help, right? Um, So lastly, remember, our recovery is dependent, not on other people, right? Page 100, it is dependent upon our relationship with God. It goes on to say um, on page 100, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. If we can follow the dictates, and dictates means direction. If we can follow the dictates of a higher power, um, you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter your present circumstances right? So we're all in COVID. We're all in this together. No matter our present circumstances, if we follow the direction of a higher power and if we can surrender, right? If we can let God take over, um, we can handle it. We can handle it um, with God's help. Um, I'd like to close with a prayer that you may or may not have heard, um, but it it sort of sums up um, the surrender. Higher power, help me to understand. To let go does not mean to stop caring. It means I can't do it for someone else. To let go is not to enable, but to allow learning from natural consequences. To let go is to admit powerlessness, which means the outcome is not in my hands. To let go is not to try to change or blame another 
it's to make the most of myself. To let go is not to care for, but to care about. To let go is not to fix, but to be supportive. To let go is not to judge, but to allow another to be a human being. To let go is not to protect, it's to permit another to face reality. To let go is not to deny, but to accept. To let go is not to nag, scold, or argue, but instead to search out my own shortcomings and correct them. To let go is not to adjust everything to my desires, but to take each day as it comes and cherish myself in it. Amen. With that, I pass. Thank you so much, Lisa, for this beautiful presentation this morning on surrender. Thank you for sharing specific examples with all of us and your personal insights, experience, strength, and hope. Very uplifting and inspiring presentation this morning. Thank you. The share ID for Lisa's presentation, 15,050. That's 15050. Lisa... Her contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. Of course, I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Ginger C. Ginger C. Kathy K. Kathy K. Lucy E. Lucy E. Elaine G. I didn't catch that. Elaine G. Thank you, Elaine. Dana P. And Dana P. Anyone else? Sophia J. Sophia J. Is that correct? Yeah. Mhm. Tanya N. Tanya N. Karen, Roxanne B. Karen W., I hear you, but it's very faint. Roxanne. Okay. B. Thank you. That's better. Thank you, Karen. Sim- Sima M. Sima M. Okay, that's quite a good list. Let's begin. Everybody, please mute, except for Ginger C. Good morning. Good morning, Lisa. Ginger C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And beautiful presentation. Thank you so much. And I'm just curious, you know, you shared so much um, and took a lot away. I just heard this incredible AA speaker, though, and he was talking about this higher power. And it's my number one relationship. Every day, God is everything or God is nothing. Number one relationship. And then he goes on further. He's like, you know, is God even in your favorites on your phone? Uh, was there a recent call from God? Have you had this relationship, this number one relationship? Have you spent time with this God? Have you been connecting with this God the way that you're talking about? And then he's like, well, let's go on further. Let's just put some cameras in the house and in your car and see how your day really looks. And it was just cracking me up. So I was like, whoa, absolutely. And that's what you were talking about, you know, developing, cultivating this relationship, growing because that's what we're supposed to do so we can be more useful. So I'm just curious, you know, how are you being, just being, beholding and doing nothing 
and then really spending time with God. Um, I actually called this guy and wanted to know more about his practice. And I was shocked that he's sitting contemplatively, quietly with God three times a day. I usually do the morning. I try my best the afternoon. But um, I'm just curious because there's so many minutes from upon awakening to that nightly review. And again, this conscious context is everything for me as to how I am in this life. And you said it too, being quiet is really hard for us as addicts. That's not my drop-in and my go-to. So would just love to hear a little bit more about that. Thank you. Thank you, um, Ginger. Um, you know, I have to I have to tell you that, and I, I don't I don't know that these were your words, but you know, one of those things that that um, I heard you say a long time ago was, you know, to stay close and connected, to stay safe and protected. Um, that's another one of those things. Um, so that's a good question. Um, one of the things about being for me, um, <laughs> and uh, this might sound counterintuitive, but I have to be able to say no, right? Um, because my one of my character defects historically would be to be busy, right? To be busy so that I didn't have to feel what I needed to feel. Um, but then also being busy, right? I am completely disconnected from God. Um, so, my, right, and I, I say often, right, God, is my primary relationship. My marriage is, is second to that. Um, so I do start in the morning and, and, and it is not something I miss. Um, I, you know, it, when I started doing this and of course the interesting thing is my husband's been doing it for years and years and years um, is this quiet time practice. Um, and so I do start in the morning. I do start with gratitude. I do have some meditation books that I, um, that they, these two, particularly two that I um, read uh, on a daily basis. And, and then some other things, actually interesting, a book about um, being contemplative, um, what that means. And so I've gained a lot of about silence, about my time, about being um, in that. Um, at the end of my quiet time, at the end of that meditation time, I do, I do set a timer and I am still and quiet. Um, the interesting thing is that, um, and so the other ways that um, I often will, um, I, I even still ask God for inspiration around my food. You know, I, I'm, I'm not very good about variety. Um, and so I'm often asking, you know, what should I consume today? What should I have today? Um, so that also creates when I sit down at my meal. So right, I'm sitting down for three meals every day and a, and a snack in the afternoon and being grateful for that, right? I am grateful that I have that, that sustenance. Um, so I can be, I can be mindful. Um, I don't, I don't read. I don't listen to anything while I'm having my meal. Um, usually the dinner meals with my spouse. And so we may have conversation there, um, but I can, I can be mindful of God's presence in that mealtime. Um, like many people, I'm really good about doing that meditation in the morning. Um, and I also set an alarm for 4.30 in the afternoon so that I can, that I can be still for a little while. You know, that sort of um, after snack time, before dinner time, I have some down quiet time. I mean, I might have a phone call in there. Um, you know, um, I think now I'm in such a habit um, perhaps that's what it is. It is creating this habit um, of asking God in, 
every, you know, um, as often as I can um, think about it. Like I said, when I'm at work and I'm, I'm not working at, well, I'm not working at all right now, um, but um, standing at the sink, you know, even standing at my kitchen sink in my kitchen, looking out the window, I can ask God in. When I step onto the tennis court and I play a lot of tennis, um, asking God in. Um, again, when, I'm, when I have to go um, doing anything, um, it is, you know, whatever that reminder I can use. But I think now after doing it right on a daily basis for such a long period of time, um, it just becomes a part of who, who we are. Right. I think. Um, and again, there are days, right. That I, and, and to be honest, some days it's days when I have so many, um, so many program related calls that, that I, it feels very busy to me. Um, again, I have to be able to say, no, I can do that tomorrow or no, I better put that off or, um, you know, one example, well, I should say, I don't like to say no. Um, and so sometimes it's difficult for me to say no, but if I get to the point where I'm doing mental gymnastics, trying to figure it all out and work it all in, right. That's not what God wants for me. I have got to say no. I, I have to have some balance. Um, because if I don't, if I don't, like you said, cultivate this relationship on a daily basis, nothing else is going to go right. Nothing else is going to be um, as good as it's meant to be. Anyway, I hope that helps. Thank you, Ginger C, for the question. Kathy K, your turn. Thank you, Leah, for your service, and thanks, Lisa, so much. I really got a lot out of your share. Um, I wanted to follow up on the last prayer that you shared with us and find out if that's something you created or if it can be found somewhere. Um, and how often do you actually create your own prayers versus use those out of the big book or some other literature? Thank you. Um, gosh, that's a great that's a great question. Um, Kathy, you'll have my number. It um, that is not a prayer that I made up on my own. That is a prayer um, that came out of a book. Um, it's a, and it's a twelve step prayer book. But it, but I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. Anyway, you can um, text me and I can I can uh, send you a copy of what it looks like. Um, right. Actually, I think I've had it for for so long. Um, and the second part. Oh oh so. Um, you know, they call it extemporaneous prayer, right? That prayer that um, just comes from within, you know, that's God-inspired. Um, what I would say <laughs> is uh, often when I'm under duress, let's say, or I am in fear or something, um, what comes up more often than not are those prayers that I know by heart, right? The third step prayer, um, the Lord's Prayer, the St. Francis Prayer. Usually that's what comes up when, when I'm uncomfortable, I guess, is the best way to, to um, explain that. Um, when I am, when I can, you know, be still, um, and I, I don't mean to um, give God a laundry list, and a lot of times it's, it's um, I'm praying for other people, right? Um, one, of my, one, of the, one of the things I do a lot is, asking God to wrap his arms around this person, asking God to wrap around, wrap his arms around my son who's, who's got COVID, who's much better. But, um, but the, 
but those sort of extemporaneous prayers come easier when 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 I'm not so busy you know and I'm and I'm and again when I'm in fear or anxiety those those prayers that I know by heart seem to be a good they just seem to come easier than than extemporaneous prayer if that makes Thanks so much. Thanks, Kathy K. Lucy E. Star one to unmute. Thank you so much, uh, Leah, for your service and everyone being out there. And thank you so much, Lisa, because you're practicing the presence of prayer of God, rather practicing the presence of God that you said did reach me. So I want to thank you for that. My question is about um, when you're sharing, and I hear it only on this meeting, uh, the word recovered, and I've been in the big book reading uh, the, the words, and it does talk about recovered, placed in a uh, place of neutrality, yet not cured. And I personally have not used that word recovered because I feel that every day is a new day. And I'm just starting out, so I'm recovering. Could you shed some light on this, that you are recovered, you're placed in, a, in this space of neutrality, and then the big book says not cured. Could you shed some more uh, insight into that? Yeah, so, um, you know, interesting. Um, I, I guess I didn't really <laughs> perhaps understand the word recovered until I became recovered. Right. I mean, it does say this book is, you know, shows us how hundreds of men and women have recovered. Right. As a result of doing this work. Um, And so. um, When I say I'm recovered, um, I'm recovered because I've had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. I'm recovered because um, because the mental obsession around food and weight and all of those things has been removed. Uh, it no longer, um, well, I'm going to have to change my headphones. Um, it, it is no longer, uh, it's no longer a problem. Um, so uh, again, um, I'm recovered uh, because I'm in a, I'm in a normal, I'm in a normal body. Um, but the biggest thing I think is, um, that I've recovered, that that God has helped me recover um, my sanity, right? Um, and yeah, so the biggest things are is because I have had a spiritual awakening, um, and and the obsession has been removed. I think that's the best way for me to explain what recovered means to me. Thank you, Lucy E, for your question, Elaine G. Your turn. Uh, hi, everybody. It's Elaine. I'm from New York. And uh, I don't know my you know, phone numbers here. You know, I mean, the people that share like to get their phone numbers. But anyway, um, and also the um, you as a sp- the speaker, um, they'll give you a phone number at the end? Correct. Yes. Okay. But, but, but anyway, um, I write a lot of notes. When I hear a speaker... Especially this one, I write a lot of notes. I can remember everything I've I've heard, you know. And um, re- recovered is interesting, you know, because I always thought of myself as recovering. And uh, my my OA sponsor 
in the morning that I sp- speak to, she keeps on saying this disease when she's dead. <laughs> and uh, this kind of thing, you know. And uh, she says the disease talks to you, this, that, no. But anyway, uh, she's not into the big book. So I got a big book sponsor, which I uh, had w- once I had, uh, you know, we've been on the phone for an hour going over the big book. And it has really changed my life. It's only been three days abstinent, but three days I wouldn't have had, you know. And my whole outlook is different. But anyway, and I'm, I'm thinking very positive. But, uh, you know, like I said, I wrote a lot of notes. and uh, Elaine, it's wonderful to hear your experience. However, this is a time for questions for the speaker. Do you have a question for Lisa H.? Yeah, I do. I, I wanted to ask her about uh, the retreat she goes to. She says she goes to retreat every year. Okay. That that That's a question that will have to be dealt with off the line. Okay. Okay, so when we finish the recording, her phone number will be given to you. Oh, okay. And to everyone. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Thank okay. you very much, Elaine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dana P., your question, please. Good morning, Leah. Dana P., compulsive overeater. Thank you so much for your service. And Lisa, what a lovely uh, share. I love the... Um, your experience of your connection with your higher power. Um, so one of my questions was answered. Um, thank you very much. My other question is, um, I too am an RN, and I'm wondering how it how you respond to people when they ask you questions or, i.e., like advice um, around you know particular medical situations. Um, I my experience with the program. Um, is to share my experience, um, not advice. So um, in the outside world uh, with quote-unquote normies, uh, how do you respond to that mm. question? Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for your question. You know, again, I like I said, I have to be careful about um, you should. Um, and so, um, you know, and it's interesting. It's just like... Um, um, it's in program, you know, I can make a suggestion, you know, so I can make a suggestion if they're, if they're asking my opinion, I can make a suggestion. Um, one of my, one of my fellows likes to say, I challenge you, you know, I like, um, I like that, right. I challenge you to whatever it is, try something new. Um, and again, it depends on, you know, I, I'm not going to get in above my pay grade, right. Um, in terms of, of in the medical profession, being a nurse, being a physician. Um, but if someone is honestly asking for my opinion, then I will give them what I know to be true, right, um, for me, right? I can't, I mean, all I can do is, is do my best to give information as I understand it. Um, but there's, you know, I still, I still have to be careful. I don't want to, I mean, I'm not going to sway anybody to my way necessarily, you know, so for example, um, around here, if you, um, if you have a, if you are exposed, if you have a positive exposure to COVID, um, and you test negative, you know, you're back to work, you're on your way, you know, the CDC says, if you have a positive exposure, um, you should self quarantine for two weeks, you know, negative or positive test result. And so for me, again, I'm a medical professional. I'm self-quarantining for two weeks before I, um, again, even though I was tested negative. I don't know if that 
if that example helps. Thanks, Dana P. Sophia J, star one to unmute for your question. Hi, Lisa. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Lita, for your service. Thank you, Lisa, for your wonderful uh, qualification. Um, I identify so much with you. I, I am a, a registered nurse also with a son that just recently got tested, waiting on his results. But my question to you was in uh, surrendering. Um, are you? Do you do uh, 10 steps, uh, 10, 11, and 12? And if so, have you found yourself with dealing through this uh, uh, pandemic that we're going through, have you found yourself doing more ten steps? And 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 also in the medical world, are you working a food plan? I've had, you know, in in my uh, in my area of work, I've had people that I've shared my program with, you know, in the medical profession. I had one doctor tell me it was wacky. My food program was <laughs> stuff include sugar and flour. You know, he told me it was absolutely nuts. And, and it was uh, the Atkins diet and so forth. So I was just wondering if you had any experience uh, with that and how did you navigate through that? Thanks. Um, thanks for the question. Um, I think perhaps maybe we can talk about the food issue um, outside, um, if that's okay. Um, again, I'll leave my number at the end. Um, but so the surrendering during this time. Um, so one of, well, several of my practices, um, I, you're asking about 10, 11, and 12. Um, I, I've talked to, about, you know, my, my step 11 prayer and meditation. Um, I do do a nightly review and then, um, then typically the next morning, um, I, I share it with a fellow. Um, so we have conversation about, um, you know, where was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, and afraid. And, um, a lot of what comes up for me usually is fear, um, you know, and, and if I'm in fear, I'm in the future, right? I'm projecting, I'm, I want to fix, I'm catastrophizing. Um, and, and it's extremely helpful for me um, to do this review with someone else, right? With my, my fellow with, that's got the skin on. Um, and, and a lot of, I mean, you know, a lot of what comes, so it's a little bit like doing a mini 10 step. Um, doing this, this review with her because I'm looking at my behavior. I'm looking at my part. Um, and, you know, often what's happening, what's coming back is, is, you know, I'm not accepting, right. I'm not accepting, um, people the way they are, things the way they are. Um, usually that's usually if I'm getting into fear or whatever it is, and it could be resentment too, I'm not accepting, um, you know, my, my, my 12 steps, you know, I, I have sponsees, I, you know, share at meetings, I, I chair meetings, um, you know, make outreach calls. That's a, a lot of um, program related things, but um, the, I don't I shouldn't say formal 10 step, but I guess that's what I can call it. Um, what I know is that if I am prayerful, and ask God to remove whatever it is. And again, for me, so often it's fear, especially in this time, um, this time of, of pandemic that we're in. It's typically fear. Um, if if I can if I can be prayerful, right, and give it a little bit of time, and if it doesn't go away, you know, usually um, a real sign for me is that I will have a 
it's the only way I can describe it is a physical unease. And when I know, of course, A, if it's still running around in my head and I have this physical unease, for me, it helps for me to sit down and write it out, write it all down, right? The fear, what I think the cause is, what my, you know, what my part is, um, and then share it with someone else. Um, again, it's just a way of, right, getting it out, right, and, and helping me to let it go. A, I'm surrendering it to somebody else. Um, and usually, again, their input is invaluable. So hope that helps. Thank you, Sophia J, for your question. Tanya N, your turn. Tanya N, star one to unmute. Yes, this is Chaya N. Thank you. I want to oh, thank gotcha. Lisa for her thank share. Oh, gotcha. Thank you, Thank you, for Lisa, for your share. I want to ask for an advice. A person that has been relapsing a very long time and didn't really work the steps, do you suggest her to first put the food down, down for a certain number of days and then be clear uh, to work the steps? or to start taking all the steps right away? Yeah, that's a common question that comes up. You know, um, for me, you know, um, to, to get into the steps requires a clear mind. Um, when I put the food down, the clarity that came to me, and, I would, and for me it was like three or four days. I mean, I kind of had withdrawal from the sugar for about a week, but... Um, but the clarity that occurs from getting a clear head. Um, now, that doesn't mean I can't talk to my sponsor, um, talk, you know, talk to the sponsee if she's still having trouble getting out of the food. Um, that doesn't mean I can't have a conversation with her. But to, to really get into the meat of working the steps, I think there has to be some mental clarity. And what maybe the big book says 48 hours, you know, so two or three days, um, and then, and then, you know, get into the work. Um, but again, that doesn't mean I can't have, I'm not, I'm not going to leave, leave that person, you know, out on the limb while they're trying to get out of the food. I can still have a conversation with them, but in terms of really getting into the work, I think there really needs to be some, some uh, mental clarity and, and distance from the, from the food. Thank you, Chaya, and for your question. Karen W., your turn. Karen W., star one to unmute. All right, perhaps she had to step away. Russanne B., your turn. Good morning, Leah and Lisa. I'm so grateful to be here this morning. Lisa, I really heard you applying these principles in all your affairs, and I thank you for the great example. I want to review two things you said. One was, I think it was in reference to your daughter who's now living on her own, 
that when you found yourself wanting to give her advice, you said something instead of the advice. I was wondering if you could repeat that. And I was also wondering if you could talk about making amends to people to whom we have given unsolicited advice. Have you ever done that? And what might you say? Um, thank you. Gosh, those are both great questions. Um, what, what I said to my daughter, um, and again, she's, she's married now. This has been a little while ago. But what I said to her was, you'll figure it out. I mean, right. I'm always going to be there to support her, but that's what I said to her. Um, and sure enough, she did, right? And, and oftentimes I will, again, I'll just, you know, I will, I will, at least I now can say to my children, you know, ask God for direction, right? I can tell them to ask God for direction, whether they do or not, right? Um, that's, that's for them to decide. Um, and then, oh, make an amends. Um, you know, the process of making amends now um, happens much quicker um, because I, I'm, I'm much more now quick um, to know where I have um, either stuck my foot in my mouth or stuck my nose in where it doesn't belong, right? Um, so the one example I gave, and I, it was pretty quick that I realized um, that I had given my friend unsolicited advice. And... Um, and so uh, I just had to say, you know what, I regret what I said. You know, I'm sorry I, I stuck my nose in. And, and, and it's only because I love them, you know, and care about them. Um, and, and, I, and I will do my very best not to do that again. <laughs> so, and again, right. we're human, right? So, so it's going to happen, all right? I mean, you know, things are going to come out of my mouth that I might regret, but I have to, I, I, I clean it up quick. Lisa, there was another phrase you offered, I think, something about um, if you – I have an opinion about that, if you're interested. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was that? Yeah, right. So that, just what you said, you know, I, I, you know, I've heard it before, and I would, you know, say I, I have an opinion about that, and if you want to hear it, I'm happy to share it with you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you, Russie and B. I'll ask for Karen W. again. Before we proceed, okay. Sima M, star one to unmute. Good morning, Sima M, grateful compulsive overeater living in recovery. Lisa, thank you so much for your share. Um, a lot of concrete examples, and some of them I identified with. I was just wondering, I know you said, I think you said in the beginning that you've been recovered for five years, and I was just wondering when you first came into OA. Because um, I'm recovered for seven years, but I first came into OA 45 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you would think, being married to a recovered alcoholic, Sima, that I would um, have sought out 12-step programs um, a long time ago. Um, my memory is about 10 years ago. No, it's probably been more than that, maybe 15 years ago. Um, you know, I'd gone to the pay and way and I came home and said to my husband, you know, I'm so tired of hearing people talk about food. Nobody talks about the mental part of it. So, right. I knew I had this mental obsession around the food and weight. 
Um, so I did actually look up, and I can't remember exactly the year that it was, um, and I tried to go to an OA meeting, um, a local OA meeting, and I showed up and there was nobody else there. So don't you know, I turned around and said, well, heck with this. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And so um, it really wasn't until the summer of 2014, and of course my friend could probably tell you exactly when it was, um, that a friend of mine um, invited me, asked me to go to OA with her. So I want to say that was the summer of 2014. Um, And, you know, part of my story is a month later, um, my husband diagnosed her son with leukemia. And so neither one of us went back. Um, you know, and then he was getting treatment, um, and she, she, she has, um, said I can tell the story. So, um, he was receiving treatment at St. Jude and I would go down, I wasn't working at the time and I would go down and visit, um, about once a week while he was doing inpatient treatment. And of course, you know how January comes and I'm miserable, Uh, you know, I, I didn't really mention this, but you know, one of those things about, um, being a compulsive overeater is this discomfort in being in my own skin. Um, like there's, like there's somebody deep down in there dying to get out, but not knowing how. And so February, it really was the end of February or sometime in February that I, you know, I don't, you know, I'm sitting at my, sitting in my little quiet time chair and I pulled out that, um, newcomer packet. I mean, it was like I was just at the end of my rope and I started reading through the newcomer packet. So that was um, February of 2015. And then, you know, I went to a local meeting and, um, you know, this this one person who was there, you know, um, she'd been without sugar for five years and I just asked her to help me get started. Um, And so she just said, you know, write down your red, yellow, and green light foods, you know? And so I took that to heart and I sat down and I wrote every single thing I could think of. Um, and at the time, red, yellow, and green, because I didn't know any different, right? And then of course, um, I knew I needed more. So, so February of 2015, and at the, um, you know, someone, I remember hearing someone on the line saying, write your abstinence date in your journal. And so I did that at the top of my journals and it's February 27th of 2015. And then, but I was, so I, I had this list and I would, uh, you know, talk about prayer again, everybody has a different experience in terms of accessing their power, their higher power. I did have a, what I thought was a relationship with power before, um, before program. Um, but I literally would just, I had that list, um, red, yellow, and green sitting on my kitchen table for a long time. And I would literally just say every day, God, just for today, help me not to eat these foods. And it could have been an hour. I must've said it a million times a day, every meal. And one day turned into a second day, turned into a week, turned into a month. Well, so after 30 days of abstinence, I thought I have, I mean, I was listening to meetings by this time. I thought I have got to get a sponsor, right? I mean, I want to, I mean, the mental clarity that I had after putting the food down, um, listening to what, listening to the message, the, this, this big book message, I thought I have got to have more of it. Um, so sometime in March, I started working with a, with a big book, um, guide and I wish I could remember. It's so interesting I wish I could remember because I know she said to me, you're recovered. And I don't, and I, I wish I'd written that date down. 
I, I think about that often. I wish I'd written that date down. I don't know how many, how many months. I mean, I know my very last face-to-face -face amends was um, in September of 2015, but um, I just had to delay that because I, I felt strongly about physically going and, and doing that in person. Um, and, and again, um, I, I have been, so that was my, that's my experience with OA and, um, and I am, I'm so grateful that, that again, now I have it every day. Thanks, Sima M., for your question. Thank you to all who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Lisa H., for your inspiring presentation this morning. So helpful to me and I'm sure for many, many on the line. Much appreciated. We're going to close from page 164. Well, let me remind you again, share ID for today, 15,050. Indeed, after the conclusion of the recording, so please stay tuned for that. 15,050 is the share ID for today. And we're going to close from page 164. You'll notice it's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.